We only have surfer guests now. Yeah. So. This is the surfing podcast. Yeah, it's a surfing podcast. What episode is it, Sam? It's a, uh, episode 83. Are you sure? I'm like 90% sure. Once we recorded a whole episode and thought after that we had said the wrong episode number. Whoa. Turns out we, we were actually but right. But we were right. Yeah. 83? Look at that. It says 83 on your mic. Damn. Oh, this is going to be a powerful podcast. Boah. <laughs> 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 I should try not to laugh into the mic, right? No, laughing no. into the mic is actually good because that's funny. Men like to hear I always get like mad because Rachel... <laughs> <laughs> no, Rachel turns away to laugh and then it... And then it's like awkward it dead seems, silence. Yes. And then it seems un... When Noah and I tell brilliant jokes. Yeah, I say something super funny and Rachel <laughs> hides her laughter because she doesn't want people to know that she thinks I'm funny sometimes. Um, all right, this is episode 83 of Corporate Lunch and we are here today with the writer Molly Young. Welcome, Molly. Hey, gang. And Sam and Rachel are here, too. Rachel just said that we only have surfers on the show now, which is true, because Molly seems to be an accomplished surfer, although... I don't know about accomplished. Every accomplished surfer says that. Um, <laughs> and Alex Olsen was a surfer, although... Devendra Banhart probably surfs. Oh, we should have asked him. Have you been surfing lately? Do you go out in the winter? Mm-hmm. Booties and gloves and... Um, a hood. A hood. Yeah. Uh, I look like a sperm <laughs> <laughs> is it all white <laughs> it's all black and it really like sucks you in yeah um it's the, it's the least flattering garment i've ever worn and you're comfortable in that though. like you get out yeah. there and you're like i'm warm it's 40 degrees the water's 40 degrees but i mean it feels like a superpower because yeah. you put this thing on and then you're i get hot it works yeah whoa I always like that, like those images of people surfing in the Northeast in the winter when there's snow on the beach. So beautiful. It's snowing. It's always really nice. So Molly's here um, because she's awesome and um, has done a lot of fabulous fashion writing that we love. Thanks. So we want to talk about that. And also for, uh, not for any reason other than we like you and we want you to be here. But yes, yesterday, this week, last week, recently. This week. You had a... Um, a story on for New York Mag that really I think spoke to the corporate lunch ethos. Mm -hmm. Spo spoke corporate to, lunch is garbage talk. Yeah, I mean that the story is mm -hmm. called it's garbage language. Why do corporations speak the way they do? And we're here today in the content tower, um, you know, optimizing, circling our back and vectors, uh, checking in and parallel pathing. Parallel path is the the one you open with, which was a really good one. I actually the debt. The day I read this, which was yesterday, was in a meeting that morning where someone was talking about parallel pathing stuff. Do you remember the context? I do, yeah. Um, do you want to blow them up? No, I don't. It wasn't, but it was just funny, like, you know, um, that I just had this experience with it. And I was thinking a lot about, I, got, I became so distracted by the use of the phrase parallel path, which I had heard before. But like you point out in the story that, um, you know, I just sort of like my brain, I just sort of transcended the meeting and I was just thinking about parallel pathing stuff and what, and you know, and, and you point out that that's just a way of saying doing two things at once. Mm -hmm. What was your s starting point for this story? So I, it started like 10, not 10, it started like eight years ago when I worked at the first of a few startups and one of my coworkers made, just started a Google doc of all the annoying words and phrases that people were using oh, um wow. and he didn't share it for a while and then finally he shared it amongst his coworkers, and we all started adding to it and it was 
you know, it was like experiential and everything was like experience focused, but medium agnostic. Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) Omnichannel. Agnostic gets tagged, tacked on to stuff a lot. Yeah. And at the time, at the time, everyone was using the phrase Herculean effort. Like Mm -hmm. we can get this product out next week, but it's going to require a Herculean effort. Just like such a bizarrely (laughs) specific phrase um, to suddenly appear. Um, So it really started with the Google Doc and and just that provided a kind of it was like our digital water cooler where we all like gathered around the Google Doc and giggled. Do you still have access to the doc? Like, did you use it when you were writing the piece? Um, I, I don't have access to the actual doc because it was in my corporate email, but mm-hmm. I downloaded a PDF. Okay, yeah. great. And we should say, um, Sam probably wants me to intro you even more, which I will do now. Um, you're a GQ writer, and but you're the a book critic at New York Mag, right? Mm-hmm. Book, is there a more formal? Is that literary right? critic. Literary <laughs> critic. And she writes an amazing newsletter. For so, New York, but we, you started before you were at New York. Yeah, and but then the, they now is like under. acquired the newsletter. <laughs> acquired the newsletter. <laughs> so language is like your forte. <laughs> what can I say? I love language. <laughs> <laughs> um, Herculean effort is a is a funny example of one that where like it's weirdly um, poetic or something. Like it's like employing like more poetic language for uh, evil corporate usage well like it like presumes a knowledge of who hercules is and what he was known for yeah right just kind of a character tall ask (laughs) (laughs) which was putting together corporate decks yeah yeah Yeah. but i guess a lot of maybe a lot of uh startups kind of have those like vaguely greek names was or just Mm -hmm. did i just make that up yeah like wait like what sonos Sonos. oh yeah that sounds greek yeah apple uber (laughs) Apple, uh, Apollonian, yeah, Dionysian. But I mean, I'm industry. curious. What are the what are the terms of art here at Condé Nast? Well, or is that touchy territory? That no, we it's not. It's not. I mean, so it's kind of an interesting question because, and this is a thing you point out in the story, which I really appreciated. That there's a difference between what you call garbage speak, which comes from Uncanny Valley, maybe. Um, the book that I haven't read, but everyone says is so great. Good book. It's great. Um, and uh, there's a difference between like garbage speak and then like buzzwords and then jargon. And I've always been a fan of jargon. And totally. I really love that you pointed out that there is a there are entire vocabularies of specialized language used to describe uh, specific very real things that language used by doctors or lawyers. I sort of think as editors and magazine makers, we do have a set of jargon that is like good, meaningful language. Um, like stet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Editorial language is good like that. Um, well, people Dex. are, I feel like people are, are more urgently TK. talking about like breaking news. Like, are you going to break news with this piece or yeah. not? Like it didn't even break any news. Like that was a bi- that was a big thing when I was at Vanity Fair. Hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think we get a little bit into um, garbage speak when we talk about like metrics and mm-hmm. KPIs and the ways that we sort of uh, measure the impact or the value of um, stories when they go online. Yeah. Well, there was also I think I noticed this when I because I was at I was like at a I was at Conde Nast and I left and came back after like two years. And I noticed there was a shift from stories to content. Interesting. Yeah. I think the more publishers have become like startups, the more this language starts to be Mm -hmm. 
use. I guess everything just becomes more like a startup. Because your story also does a good job of tracking the sort of history of this. Like, you're, it's not like Garbage Speak has always been around. There's been iterations, but it's all sort of like the startup boom of the last 10 years has really like sort of created it. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely gotten more annoying, I think. But but you can kind of like track all of these words. They change over time and they change for reasons that aren't arbitrary. Like yeah. the, you know, like the first kinds of corporate speak were all very mechanistic because they it was like a manufacturing era in the early yeah. 20th century. And so they were talking about people as machines and talking about like their output yeah. in the way that you talk about machines or like their productive capacity. Yeah. Um, and then obviously in the 60s, it got a little more like counterculture. And then in the 80s, it was very Wall Street. So people started using words like leverage and stakeholder yeah. and value add and buy-in. <laughs> and then I think, I don't know if it's as a result of Steve Jobs, but it kind of re- like flipped back to that new agey stuff. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I reread Lean In, <laughs> don't be jealous. <laughs> and she uses all these words about, you know, like bringing your whole self to work and being a, a yeah. holistic employee. And um, and then obviously there's tons of like techie words like bandwidth or double clicking on something or yeah. the concept of talking offline. I wasn't familiar with double clicking. I don't think I'd heard. I heard. That. I that heard that for the first time recently. What does that recently. mean to open to? It's like I've, I heard. I heard. Let's double tap on that. Like let's zoom. In. It means zoom in, but it's like a oh. metaphor about our phones and like our addiction to technology, which I think is, makes it like extra fucked up. Do you think it means just like let's talk more about that? I think it's like let's or like open it. Up. I think it's like literally like let's would be let's open. zoom in on this. Like like if I if I was like talking about something, okay, let's let's double click on oh. that thing that you just said. I find that I say um, it's like it's like it's like a deep, let's take a deep dive, which is just another sure garbage. garbage I couldn't. You, I mean, I don't know. You could kind of get like it's, it's horrible, a big consulting but you could term. get really like poetic with it. Like, let's move the cursor back up to what you were saying earlier. Mom. Let's scroll. Let's scroll. <laughs> let's scroll down. Yes. Yeah. Let's screenshot that and put it in our. Uh, Photos. Can you can you recount for us also the experience of uh, the the maple syrup? Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> which I thought was such a like that. What was so interesting about this piece is that you had like the structure of it was so elegant, but there are so many things that could have been like the entire essay, and one of them I think was the maple syrup. So the maple syrup was I um, one of the. The CEO of a company where I worked was always getting tons of free stuff. So he would like go to conferences and come back, and often he would just give out the stuff. So like all of my favorite baseball hats are from <laughs> conferences, and they say like CBS Sports or whatever. <laughs> um, but he had on his desk one day this box, this colorful box, and I went up and asked his assistant. And I was like, "What is this?" And she was like, "Oh, he belongs to this runners club, and so they send him high performance running accessories and products." And I picked it up, and it was like a little tube of maple syrup that had been marketed as um, like a super high-functioning athletic fuel. And it was yeah. literally just a tube of maple syrup. <laughs> oh, that was so, so funny. And cool. <laughs> and then, so I put that in the piece as an example of kind of the scammy feeling. Yeah. Uh, and then the f- the founder of the maple syrup company actually emailed me, <laughs> and it was kind of since yesterday. Yeah, he emailed me and he was really disappointed and kind of a little bit upset that I put him in the article and he didn't really know why. And I read the email and I was like, dude, you make 
tubed maple syrup. Like, yeah. stand yeah. by your product. Yeah. <laughs> did he, he, he? Did he have any sort of case to make? Was he trying to correct something that he thought was erroneous somehow? Like, you misunderstood that this product actually has other ingredients in it or something? No. It's no. fucking maple syrup. He's actually a tree. He's just registering a complaint. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a it's like, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's there's like... <laughs> There's a lot of um, aspects of this, like w- that idea of um, just like marketing and how gross it is, is a big piece of it. And then also the fact that people just don't say what they mean or like we get, the more you use this, the more you get further from like just saying what you mean mm-hmm. directly. And um, that sucks. Like you mentioned the word bandwidth earlier, which I actually say a lot like That's to my, to my manager. I'm always one. just like, I'm out of bandwidth, you know, and it's just a way of being like, I have too much shit to do, but too much shit to do. Uh, doesn't sound like a serious um, issue. You know what right. I mean? Or but like, like too I, much on my plate. Yeah. People are like, we live in a foodie culture. Like yeah. you want to have too much. On I have too much in my yeah. fast casual bowl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can all be, yeah, exactly. We can all have too much on our plate, but once you're out of bandwidth, like that's really the end. And so like employing that one feels like it kind of gets you somewhere. Um, and then the aspect of like people using this language when you don't really have anything else to say. Like you did a really good job of describing that phenomenon of um, meetings that are only meant to talk about how you might approach doing work on a project, not actually any of the substance of the project or the work you're going to do or like anything like that. And I think that's a thing we get stuck. No in that one and I are looking here. at each other because we know the exact meeting. Like, we know the meeting <laughs> that you're thinking of. Do you I guys think- have meetings about meetings? Yeah, we kinda, try not kinda. to. We we we've tried to cut down on meetings, which we I have plenty think is of good. productive meetings. Yeah, we, we shouldn't be too mean. We have we do have real our meetings productive are pretty meetings. Fun, like usually. our ideas meetings and like lineup meetings mm-hmm. are very real and important and and get us somewhere. There are other we'll... meetings typically when they're not about like the stories that we're working on in an ed- editorial when we have to think about like other things we get stuck in we sometimes end up in kind of meetings about iterating yeah but i think will likes to run a pretty like garbage speak free for sure magazine and and meeting which is which is nice what i what i really liked about um or one part of the piece that i really liked was your point about um how a lot of this garbage language is used to like market our jobs back to ourselves um given that we live in a society where like at least in America, you know, most people aren't actually making anything anymore in their day-to-day jobs. Like all of like the economic growth is basically white collar these days. And so it's a lot of people who have these jobs like as consultants or finance dudes or whatever, um, who have to sort of like pretend that they're in the situation room 24 seven in order to like justify the fact that they're like spending their lives, um, you know, moving around like PowerPoint slides. I thought that was nice. Yeah. Um, I'm not really, I've been sort of warned not to talk about this, but fuck it. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> this is a safe space. So the, I think a good example of what you're talking about, Sam, is that company Away, mm-hmm. um, which they're engaged in some ongoing litigation against the parent company of New York Magazine. <laughs> so this is delicate, but um, so The Verge wrote this piece about Away and it was all about this kind of... Um, Jesus, I have to be so careful with my words. Uh, Management style that didn't rub employees the right way. And a lot of it was kind of focused on the fact that the job was presented as being um, really empowering and innovative and 
of course, underneath it, it was like a suitcase manufacturer. And yeah. how empowering and innovative can that possibly be? I mean, it might be a great job, but, um, you know, it's not really a calling. Um, and I think there's a lot of places like that that feel like they have to cloak their their um, values Purpose. in like, yeah, I kind of give like a spiritual grandeur, like we have a mission where. I mean, the WeWork thing in there <laughs> yeah. is yeah. just unreal. Yeah. That the language that they use in their like manifest, whatever the, the it was the document they used to go when public. They went public and it has this crazy language of like, what is it? Do you remember? Oh God, it's like it's just like changing the world th- through meaningful we uh, We exist to elevate community. human consciousness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's really it's, psycho. It's, it's like really, really yeah. What um, yeah, and that's all. It's just an example of people not saying what the fuck they mean. You know, it's like what is it that you do? Say it. Don't yeah, cloak it in something. So this started for you eight or ten years ago with that Google Doc, and it's um. I mean, like the the beauty of a story like this, and this story in particular, is like how familiar it is, and but then how it sort of like shows you new aspects and tells you things about a thing we know about. Like people have been complaining about like corporate speak for a long time, right? Like on Twitter, there's endless jokes about like circling back and putting a pin in it and how like insane it is, but we can't we and can't like escape it. Dilbert comics, <laughs> yeah, that was big. And Office Space, yeah, and Succession, yeah, yeah it's kind yeah. of always in the air. So it's a kind of a, for that reason, it's like a hard assignment to take on, I feel, because you had to, and you, you, you had to, um, I don't know, like reframe it somehow or, or make the, make thinking about it feel like original. Like, how did you approach it, you know, from when this assignment actually began and you're like, all right, I've been working in startups for years. I know this, but also like, how does this become a New York mag story, you know, this week in 2020? Well, I... I think a lot. There's been a lot of people who make fun of these words or talk about how annoying they are. But the reason why, the reason why I have such an allergic reaction to them and why a lot of people do isn't because they're annoying. It's because there's something much more malevolent about them. Yeah. And I wanted to figure out what that was. Why why they are so creepy and and bothersome. And I think the sort of conclusion that I came to is that. Um, when you're in an environment where people are using these words, you become coerced into using them too. As yeah. like as you said, Noah, you have to say bandwidth instead of too much shit on my plate. Yeah. Um, and so you're using words that don't really make sense, but you're you're prote- you're like engaging in a pretense that those words do make sense, um, which is really soul mutilating. Yeah. I think because you're you're participating in just common delusion. Yeah. Um, and that's really dark. <laughs> Welcome to the common delusion. <laughs> Do I wanted to ask about you going on WNYC to field questions about this? Do you want to? You can. That's going to be live, right? Yeah. So you're headed from here to WNYC, correct? My favorite radio station, Which our local NPR. Looks exactly like the set of Frasier, by the way. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Shit. Can you bring us with you? Can you just be like, these are my handlers? Totally. Um, it's a lot of like blonde wood. And By the way, that coffee's for you. Were you offered it yet? Oh, cool. I'll take it. I meant All to right, say then that. You can be really jazzed for WNYC. Yeah, we got to get you amped up for this. We want you to perform. This is the WNYC peak, pre-show. That's actually the tagline yeah. of the show. Corporate lunch, the WNYC pre-show. So their plan, because they have call-in capabilities, is to have you field, um, have people call in with... With their to bounce to bounce off their uh, version of this 
for you to react to basically to complain to you yeah what's gonna happen yes yeah um i'm gonna be the hr person uh <laughs> i'm really excited because the i got some emails from people who who were quick to inform me that this kind of language permeates far beyond the kind of corporate and startup universe there's somebody yeah, yeah. who works in healthcare and yeah. was like this is a scourge a lot of people who work in nonprofits. um I had one person I know email me, and he was like, "I'm actually a doctor, and um, I heard one of my fellow doctors in the ER talk about the need to surgerize a patient, like <laughs> move them into surgery." Oh, Jesus. Um, but that one actually didn't bother me because I it's was not like, really hiding any meaning or something. He's or... just having fun with surgery. <laughs> Last night on my on my way from um, the E train to. Uh, Raul's where I was having dinner I heard mm. two it was like you know that's Let's like a block about that. <laughs> that's, like a, that's like a one block walk and I heard two examples of um, garbage language just like in the wild it was two people on their phones one woman who was walking down into the subway was talking about onboarding a colleague mm. yeah. and then a woman who I passed by on the sidewalk um, said use the phrase vocabulary outcomes and I have Whoa. no, I have literally no idea what that means. That's a crazy one. <laughs> what I like about onboarding is it's so close to waterboarding. <laughs> yeah. Off, there's also offboarding. Oh is, wow, oh, man. so sinister. Yeah. But but it, it's it's very jarring. I mean, I was obviously thinking about the about your story, but it's very jarring to hear it outside of the outside of an office context. Did you what permeating are, into the real world? Did you come across many that you actually really like? Like one I always think is nice is sunsetting. When a, to end a project, we're going to sunset that one. That sounds like you're killing it, sort so of. So Orwellian. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like an aging person. Sundowning. You've put them in palliative yeah. care. My grandfather is sunsetting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I keep trying to think about um, um, garbage language in fashion. Because this well, is the GQ is, like, style weird, customer service. You do service say like um, really f- like fashion people like talk about everything in the singular, like a pant. Yes. Yeah. The pant, the shoe. Yeah. You know the sweater, the knit. Which yeah. I've always I think that's elegant though. I think that's elegant. What about like fashion press releases? Is there a scourge and <laughs> do those exist? Is that a thing? Uh, Rachel wrote a funny piece about fashion press re- about the fashion know. press release going. Just, just becoming insane last year. Yeah, um, like Alessandro Michele does. Like he's like every year the ritual returns and tabulates an ongoing experience of culture, communication, and silhouette. Like in this really, his, like his the fashion ha- press release is basically just incomprehensible yeah. at this point. Like yeah, it's yeah, not, and it just it's, repeats language. It talks about the clothing itself as if it has like possesses an anim like is like an animated thing like the glitter is expressed across the garment yeah evoking the spirit of 19th century department store shopping (laughs) damn that was good (laughs) was that just off the cuff yeah nice i just read these all day (laughs) i feel like they fashion has the problem of just being really bad at describing itself you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like you get really basic descriptions of like just the name of a fabric and a color and so, or something like that but you you get very little um like original language about what a thing is or how it was made or why you know like why anyone cares about it you just kind of get like um very g- sort of general and vague descriptions of things and then like a lot of platitudes about um 
I don't know. Yeah, it's a silhouette or innovation. Yeah, fashion is so rife with cliche that I think a lot of people like try very hard to get around that. But yeah, but I guess then there's like the startup side of fashion, which is probably has all the same issues that we're talking, you know, from your story, Molly. Um, Wait, I want to know more about Condé Nast lingo. Is there anything else that is worth sharing? Um, yeah, oh, I'm sure NDA? there's. I'm sure there's tons. <laughs> there's tons. I the the one thing that um, definitely happens is you'll hear a language like for the first time, or, or a new word at like a kind of garbage word for the first time, and then you hear it constantly after that. Like mm-hmm. once it's intro- introduced, it's really quickly adapted and becomes like and then like you were saying you start you you know you end inevitably you end up using it because you have to like signal that you're part of the plan you know that like you get it you're on the team well that's like part of the mysticism of it is you never really know where these things come from yeah and i still kind of don't like i think partly it comes from business schools mba programs and partly it comes from consulting partly it comes from the ted talk circuit yeah Partly it comes from those clickbaity business books that come out. There is um, <laughs> at uh, one of my at one of my former jobs, the CEO. I walked by his desk and there was like a pile of fifty books called "The Third Door" <laughs> <laughs> that he had ordered on Amazon to like drive up the sales numbers because his friend had written it. And I, I was like, what's this? I thought it was like a guidebook to anal sex or something. <laughs> and I opened it up and. It was actually the premise of the book was there are three doors like life is a nightclub and there are Mm -hmm. three doors. The first door is the front door where you have to wait in line to get in with all the other schmoes. Uh Um, The second door is the VIP door that they open. If you're like a famous person, you just slide right in. Mm -hmm. But there's always a third door. (laughs) And the third door is like the busboy who you give 10 bucks to and then you get in through the kitchen or it's like. The window that's a jar that you can slip into. Mm-hmm. So it's he like was the saying, illegal way to get it. <laughs> yeah, like the unscrupulous. So this guy's thesis was that like Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, uh, like Michelle Obama, all third door entrance. And the like the thesis of the book was basically just be resourceful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, There's always a way. But that massive is. bestseller. And I think of that as like the, the third door as like the ultimate example of garbage speak. Jeez. Um the problem with that thesis is that the complementary thesis is Graydon Carter's seven rooms. So you might get in through the third door, but you're still only in the first room. <laughs> <laughs> you're just layering on the... Yeah, and then once you're in the right room, like, which table are you at? Right. <laughs> Where'd you sit in, Raul? Sam. In the front room. Oh. What did you have yeah. to eat? They yeah. put you in the front. Well, we didn't have a reservation. So what did you eat? Yeah. Um frise salad, steak tartare, um, Brussels sprouts, and a roast chicken. Quite so a spa split. meal. Damn. Yeah. And and a couple martinis. Hmm. What uh I'm trying to think of what what um what kinds of language uh are in vogue at Condé Nast. Yeah. I mean I'm sort of what I phrases? wish I had I wish I had taken a minute to think about it in advance because there are definitely some. Um but parallel path. Just, if you can just think of up. any DM Sam Hyde. I think there's a, we, parallel we like path. To, we though, like to launch things at GQ, and we like to circle back. Do yeah. You Im- do you implement things? Mm. Not really. We used to joke a lot about activations, mm. yeah. which we like. We were making fun of basically other departments using that language. Like 
to us and um well and those are not, are things, and not other departments here actually brands pitching brands those pitching things those things, things yeah um yeah. yeah there's a lot of like like i think we see um we we get like we we don't see like the the back end of a lot of I think like the. I mean, even back end is. <laughs> the back door. Yeah, there's um, like a lot of buzzer that we can push every yeah. time Sam. But like we're it. pitched a lot of a lot of um, you know we get invited to a lot of activations, quote unquote, and thing you know brand events and um, parties or whatever yeah. that sort of all smack of these like you know they they all seem to have come together by this like vague consulting process. It's like throwing stuff at a wall and then sending a press release to us about it. And it's like totally unclear from the press release what is actually going to happen. Or mm-hmm. I overheard a girl explaining sh- a girl who was a um, activations manager explaining to her mom what her job was, and oh, her mom no. is like, "What is an activation?" And the girl was like, "It's basically an activity." <laughs> <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is that there definitely is like something you activate. activation is kind of like it's like. I don't know who I forget who said it, but it's like porn. Like you know it when you see it. Like there's a difference yeah. between like an activation and an event. It's not a party, and you just kind of get that. There's like it's just the something difference that you is feel. that it's not fun like a party. Yeah, yeah no one no one uses the word party it's anymore. Just You'd have to be really bold to use like yeah. because party suggests that like I might have a good time, whereas like an event they're like you have to come to this for your job. You've been <laughs> <laughs> you've been conscripted to promote this. Yeah, yeah. Um, Molly, you one. Th- sort of important thing to know maybe it's too personal but it's in the story is you worked at startups like this for kind of a long time <laughs> did this eight years which is also why i think this story is like kind of beautifully like gentle like you never come down too hard on anyone necessary because like we're sort of all victims of it even i mean there are the people like the guy who wrote the third door who's like you know probably truly like nefarious and like responsible for some like, and yet so wealthy yeah good for him but did that, how did like, you know, like someone who didn't have your like work experience could have done this story and it maybe would have been a little bit different. Um, did you feel like, like I was struck by the gentleness of it or by your like approach that didn't seem, maybe gentle is not the right word, but. No, I like gentle. I aim to be a gentle person. <laughs> um, was that like an editing decision that like came through later? Cause like a version of this, I guess, could have been like super snarky or, um, which like maybe isn't your style, I don't know, but just like how did you land on the tone of it? Because that seems tricky. Well, I mean, I think you can't really make fun of, I mean, like you said, we're all implicated in it. Like I, there were times when I found myself using these words and feeling like a ventriloquist dummy, just not in control of my mouth or my brain. And I feel like you have to have mercy for those situations because when you work at a, you know, when you have a precarious job, you, may not necessarily be able to afford to not use the word bandwidth. Right. Um, and so I didn't want to like decimate people who don't have a choice in the matter. But then there are people like the CEO of Away who I think used that language in a way that was really um, upsetting and kind of punitive. Oh, my God. The way you recount that her telling some employees that she's taking away all of their vacation and paid time off or whatever as an opportunity as an as a career opportunity which you know like i've I followed that news a little bit but the like considering that in this context of garbage speak is just like that was pretty devastating are you a heavily slacking office yeah we slack a lot 
I mean, we, we, slack, we, we have slack way more than we do intense work uh, on Slack. Like I'll, we, we copy edit features on Slack. Whoa. Okay. So it's useful. It's one. I really don't like Slack. One aspect I don't like of it, it either. The weird thing about like working in an office now is that everyone is on Slack and like uh, like laughing at each other's jokes. So yeah, like, Rachel gets mad when just, people laugh out loud when yeah, <laughs> funny Slack is. So it's sent. just like everyone is like kind of g- like giggling a little bit. It's like walking past a bush where there are a bunch of birds like freaking out. Yeah, <laughs> you've been bird watching too much. Yeah, I have. Sorry. I like how you identify the giggle as like a Slack specific giggle. It's not it, like this person's not like reading an entertaining story on. No, but uh, you're doing it because you want you're you're it's it signifies to me two things. One is th- one is that like, oh, I'm getting some slacks. Like <laughs> someone's slacking me right now. <laughs> and then there's also this like, oh, I have this like relationship with like my colleagues that like I want to telegraph to everyone else. Right. You know? I think Slack is just such a nefarious tool because it's designed to make um, the fact that you're sort of sh- always shackled to your job and that you're supposed to always be available. It's, it tries to make that fun by like giving you, by you know, it has this like, sort of like soft bubbly design. It gives you all these emojis that you can use. Jared to Leto invented to, it. Um, you know, messages <laughs> Wait, and what? jokes He's and like stuff like that. He's like the main investor. In really? Slack. Yeah. Well, damn it, Jared. I think the, the evil thing about it is that like some asshole looked at like okay we've got email we've got text messaging we've got like phone call there's like what's the thing that cannot be ignored what if we design you cannot escape you know what i mean like that your boss can read yeah exactly it was designed to do all the shit that all of our other communication kind of like you know all the good things about our other communication this was designed to to sort of like you know to do away with the good things can i ask like ruin our lives do you find now that you're not like you don't have like a nine to five job do you find it like is your writing process like different or is it easier is it like easier to focus yeah i mean i can't write if i'm around other people Mm -hmm. i need um well actually what's funny is that so i write out of my apartment and in my mind, it's this peaceful haven, but actually the apartment is right above a cabbage and fortune cookie factory. And so <laughs> all day long, there's just like this, the white noises of like warring forklifts and people screaming in a language that I can't understand. And that has become my like white noise machine. Um, What's the relationship between cabbage and fortune cookies? Are fortune cookies made of cabbage? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. All right. Um, but no. It's for another episode, probably not. <laughs> Yeah, but out, out of pocket. That's one that we use. What does that mean? That means that you're you're working on your phone and you're not at a laptop or computer or whatever. It's like, oh, I'm out of pocket right now. It means you're like on the go. Yeah, you're like you're pulling def- pulling you're your literally access like, in and yeah. out of the pocket. Ugh. Ugh. Molly's also written some really this Noah mentioned this at the top of the podcast, but um, has written some really great fashion profiles for GQ over the years. I actually didn't know that you had been in the startup embedded in the startup world um for so many years but um i'm curious what you looked what like what like what you look for in a fashion profile assignment you know like what drew you to write about ricardo tishi and um donatello versace specifically i can you know they're obviously um outsized characters yeah, I mean, I think the stories I like reading and the stories I like writing are the same, which is just like super weird people who are good at their jobs. 
and fashion is full of those people. Yeah. Um, and so with Ricardo Tisci, you know, he's like super successful um, Italian, like glamorous, but he's also a total freak who like lives in a house without electricity and has only candles. And you didn't go to that house, did you? No, I wasn't oh. allowed to penetrate that fortress. Yeah. But, um, and you know, they have really extreme systems and philosophies about how they do their jobs, and they're yeah. not always amazing at articulating them, but but they're so um, readily observable. Um, and then Donatella Versace. Um, I don't even know what to say. I mean, just a, like an extravagant woman who has lived a luxurious and tragic life. Yeah. You got Tishi at the at like Givenchy peak. It was moment, when that Rottweiler kind of, right? shirt yeah. was mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. I always thought that shirt looked like a vagina dentata. Yeah, I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I re rereading that story was kind of interesting because you know like we fashion has such a short memory like the the way it's kind of covered daily has a really short memory like you can easily forget or there's probably lots of young people like the young man sitting next to me potentially who weren't really like tapped in at the time when Givenchy really exploded and um I like how you treat Sam like he's 14 years old he's He's 15 he just turned 15 (laughs) um (laughs) Uh, yeah, and Sam treats me like I'm 68, so it's basically, like, it, it it's fair. Ways, yeah. But, you know, like, when, when Vetmont comes out and, Dem- you know, it's like, these things happen, it's not just, like, cyclical, but uh, these things, like, happen again and again, and Givenchy was one of those huge moments, and um, the story, I think, like, gets at how big those moments can be and how big they can feel and how they cross over into like pop culture and how it's like Kanye wore that kilt and it was like the biggest thing on the planet for a little while. And now obviously Givenchy is in such a different place and Tishi is in such a different place and they're, you know, they're still doing things. Tishi kind of really went away for a long time, but um, like, can I read a quote? He went away for like two years though, which is, I know, but that was like an eternity. Yeah. Okay, read the quote. Um, actually, I, don't, I do want to read this quote because it's really interesting to think about right now. The Rottweiler has captured demographic slices that tend to be mutually exclusive. Fashion world influencers, mainstream celebrities, and the streetwear community, which is what the fashion industry calls young black people. Which, like, that's a wild thing to think about. Not wild, but when did this story come out? 2012. 2012? Wow, seven years. Eight years ago? Yeah. Golly. I remember for that story, I actually talked to a bunch of young black teenagers from like Louisiana who had, I'd found them on Instagram or something wearing Givenchy. And those were by far and away the best quotes about the brand, Mm -hmm. but they did not make it into the piece. There's there's some in there, but yeah, um, a little bit. And you talking about, I think Tishi maybe says to you, someone says to you, like, look on Twitter. Yeah, Tishi said look on Twitter, Mm -hmm. which is funny. The guy from Barney's did. Um, I also liked just to jump around a little bit in Versace in rereading the Versace piece, which you probably haven't read read these stories in years. So I also have a terrible memory. So, um, so we can just make stuff up. Great. <laughs> she reads George Saunders, which yeah, <laughs> like I love that. The one thing that really, really stuck that. with me. But I guess, like, I mean, her her brother was pretty literary, right? I mean, I super cerebral. Of, yeah. yeah. And um, like he had a huge library, and he had a personal a librarian. No. So it's funny yeah. that. Do you think he was like, 
Donatella, you got to read Saunders. I mean, like, like gave her a, or she just like read the New Yorker maybe and got into the stories that way. It's such a strange and interesting choice. I mean, I think she just eventually had to rechannel her hedonism into mm-hmm. something that was less like personally damaging. Um, and so maybe she just sublimated all the energy that she spent on partying into George Saunders. Yeah. Well, in the and in the the piece that Jacob Bernstein wrote over the summer about her, she was the opening is like she's like I'm in the middle of the Mueller report. Good for her. Yeah, she like I guess read the whole thing. Do you guys keep in touch? No, we do not. <laughs> Who would you want to um, profile next? This is kind of a funny question because like, a fashion person. Yeah, a designer, I guess. Um, Jesus, I'd have to actually think about that. maybe not even like. I don't know. Profile is like maybe not the right way of thinking of it. Is there some someone or label that is has really captivated you? I mean, it's been written recently? about. It's been written about a lot, but acronym I think is yeah. so yeah. fascinating mm-hmm. because I was watching because um, they stole the Iowa caucus. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely because I was watching um, a Ken Burns documentary from 1984 about the Shaker community. Okay. Um, it's only I think you can only get it by torrenting it, but um, and I don't know how I found it, but the Shakers were. Do you guys know about the Shakers? Mm-hmm. I mean, vaguely. They made Sam's furniture. Like, yeah, <laughs> they what made was the, that? <laughs> <laughs> the best furniture. <laughs> all I, I really grew up in know a Shaker is community, all okay. I know is the furniture. I think. Yeah. So they okay. They made the most beautiful furniture yeah. that an American person has ever made. They um, it's basically like Christianity minus dogma minus guilt plus ecstatic dance plus mindfulness. It's like dope. It's overlaps. like corporate lunch. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, like the overlaps with Zen Buddhism are not insignificant, but their clothes, like they were super innovative with textiles. Uh-huh. They actually invented the clothespin um, and they had silkworm. And this was like in the early 18th century. Yeah. So before, before other people were doing this stuff in America um, and all their clothes were like super high functional, high performance, like the acronym of their time. Wow. So maybe I'll do an acronym shaker slash story? shaker story. Are you into William Gibson? Mm-hmm. Emily Bodie's really into shaker. Her like last yeah. collection was really? was by a man who left the about a guy who left the shaker community who works at Green River Project. What's funny is that since since you wrote um, the Ricardo piece, it seems like the people who are like kind of driving where fashion's heading right now are not these weird characters who like are also very good at their jobs, like you know, Virgil Abloh and Matthew Williams and Claire Wright Keller, like all very brilliant, all very good at their jobs. Not Not super weird. weird. Like they're not, they're they're not eccentric and zany and mysterious in the same way that like Ricardo Tichy or Donatella. I mean, Donatella's maybe not so mysterious, but yeah, they're more um, polished. They're, they're sort of more professionalized. Yeah. Well, I remember when I was doing the Donatella piece in Milan and Will Welch was there at the same time and we had dinner and he laid out a theory that, I am not going to paraphrase because I'll do it incorrectly. But he was he was talking about how the role of CMO and designer yeah. has kind of verged in an interesting way and Definitely. typified by Virgil. And I think that requires professionalism. Mm-hmm. And I also think people of, of uh, maybe the younger generation, they kind of aspire to be CMO more. Like I think there's a different type of – there isn't necessarily like that sense or that ambition of being like a pure artist as much as maybe there was. What's that about? People just want healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. I like Francesco Risso because he's like a total freak 
uh, the who, Marnie guy. The Marnie guy, yeah. But then who it's like, like Marnie's not gonna like hit their goals, and he's gonna be gone. You know. How is his freakishness expressed? Where's his hair and pigtails? He talks yeah. crazy. He he he's, <laughs> he he like he tells all these really wild stories about growing up and um, like stealing his like sister's clothing and chopping them up and creating like these sort of like Frankenstein garments that he would then wear. He just doesn't seem like super on on like m- corporate message. No, he's when like he's sort of talks. he's in the he clouds. Just seems you natural know? and like kind of off the cuff. I think mm-hmm. I haven't really talked to him that much. The clothes are wa- sort of whimsical too, right? Yeah. Sam got that suit. Have you seen Sam's Marnie suit? No, I'd love to. Normally you wear suits on Fridays. What happened? I haven't worn suits on Fridays in a long time. I used to wear suits on Fridays um, because I would usually be like extremely hungover. And then Noah and Will kind of found out that that was my trick. Because it's like the easiest way to, it's the easiest outfit to put on in the morning. Don't have to think about it. And they were like, man, why is is our editorial, like why is our 22-year-old assistant always sort of like nonverbal and wearing a suit on Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had to, I had to switch it up. Uh, Molly has a heart out in a few minutes. So we're going to do vibes now. And, um, heart out is a, uh, is garbage speak. When you told me you had a heart out at 11, 10, I put it in when square, we were texting, quotes, did you? I? Yes, you did. Okay. Thank God. So <laughs> you, we, it was acknowledged. 13. Yeah, the not-so-fast lightning round of things that um, we all love and enjoy. I'm really happy to have Molly here for this. I hope sort of have high expectations for you because this is like a thing you do, kind of. We didn't even talk about chaga. I wanted to ask you about chaga. Oh, yeah. I wanted to ask you about That came up a while ago, and I kept every meeting, I was like, we have to get Molly to write a story about chaga. (laughs) (laughs) But it never, like, really. You have to send me to Siberia. Is that where they grow it? To harvest chaga. Whoa, sick. Oh, wow, I didn't even know that. Is that that in the budget? (laughs) I mean, yeah. Siberia. Where's Siberia? Like Ohio? Yeah. <laughs> um, do you know about the clothing brand that like does mushroom dye? Do, were we talking about that? I old think we bo- briefly old spoke part, about it. What is it called? Is Older it? Brother. Older Brother. So it's just like brown clothing? Yeah. yeah. I guess so. Tight. But different shades. Uh-huh. It's actually pretty nice. Plus like brown is trending, right? Okay, Rachel. let's do some vibes. We're, That's okay. what uh, Offset told me. Yeah. Rachel, you want to go first? You look ready. Uh, no, no, I'm not ready. I Don't. have a vibe. Okay, yeah. go. Yeah, go. Okay, my vibe is positive moments. Um, this is a tactic that, so I have in my email inbox, I hate getting emails, um, but I have in my inbox a folder called positive moments. And every time somebody sends me a nice email that touches my heart, I file it in positive moments. Wow. Um, so like yesterday, a girl whose podcast I love DM'd me a nice compliment and I screenshotted it and put it in positive moments. And then whenever I'm in a bad mood, I look in positive moments how and much stuff is in there? Cool. My positive moments folder would have like three things in it. It's They'd been going for be years. 2009, really? Yeah. So I have like 15. <laughs> okay. Sam. Um, my positive moment is uh, when I got a new hair oil recently. What? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, by, it's by a brand called F. Miller out of Canada. And I, can't, I, I have no idea like how it differs from past hair, oil, hair oils I've used. I don't really know like what goes into it, um, but my hair has been looking better than ever, I think. I just, I gotta say. So I wanna shout out my new hair oil by F. Miller. I'll, um, I'll build on that with my next vibe, which is um, lavender essential oil. Is that what that's, uh, essential oil? My wife is obsessed with lavender, my domestic partner. She gets headaches, and I think someone told her it's good for like migraine headaches. 
But I have the uh, everyday oil, which I'm obsessed with, unscented, which I like the scented one better. So I put a drop of lavender in it, and I smash it together in my hands, and I rub it all over my body and face and hair. They have found in clinical studies that lavender is as effective as clonopin um, as a relaxing agent in women, but not men. Wow. What does hmm. it say if I do feel yeah. relaxed when I use it? I'm just in touch with my femininity. I just like the way it smells. But I do it at nighttime, and then I go to sleep, and I feel great. It's like mm-hmm. a little spa treatment. All right. Rachel, you got a vibe now? Are you ready? Yeah, now? yeah, yeah. You sure? Yesterday, okay. I was writing about something that ha- what was like um, mostly happening in 2003, and I was trying to like trigger memories from 2003, so I wanted to listen to music I listened to in 2003, and I, I remembered that Queen of the Stone Age album queens of the stone age album songs for the deaf yeah great album title (laughs) that has like all the bangers on it and it was really great yeah yeah it was like kind of it's kind of like it's not speed metal obviously but it's like really heavy it's really aggressive like uh late 30s man music Mm -hmm. yeah it was like building on like foo fight it was like the heavier foo fighters right because it was dave grohl's like other Oh, he was in band. it. Yeah, oh, he was in it, and it I was like only three people. I don't know. And shit he's about always Queens like, I invented age. bands with three people. Yeah, Dave. That's Roll like really his has. big thing. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that Foo Fighters video where they were all on the airplane and they were wearing like prosthetics and dressed up to like the like characters? Yeah, I didn't like that. Vaguely. Yeah, I didn't like that either. <laughs> really freaked me out. This you're talking about sort of a genre of like hard rock that I really don't like. Mm-hmm. Why don't I, Why don't you like it? I. This is going to, well, I'll just give you the really like sort of pretentious asshole answer, but I grew up listening to like hardcore and it just seemed so kind of like wussy. It was like MTV kind of like light. It was like light rock to me. It was like kind of dentist office music, but at the time it it wasn't really. And like friends of mine liked it, but now it is like actually dentist office music. Like if you hear Foo Fighters now, it is just like the softest, easy listening shit. Yeah. But, um, like train. Yeah. <laughs> hey, soul yeah, sister. It's like prom Ugh. music. <laughs> Molly's back to you. I'm sorry that I would I said something Is that your negative vibe about, train? about your vibe. <laughs> no, but one of the um embroidered hats that I got from my former boss from a conference was a train hat. Like the band? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a CD. Just drops That's of Jupiter psycho. on it. Oh my god. You still have it? I do not. Hmm. I think it was one of those hats that I wore once and then like threw out. Yeah. Um makes sense. My vibe is Irish breakfast tea. Which is like English breakfast tea, but maltier and stronger and feels like it would put hair on your chest. And the lore is that it was formulated to, I think Ireland has either harder or softer water than England. And so they formulated the tea to harmonize with the water. Um, But it's like the scotch of tea. Do you have a preferred brand? I'll do whatever. And brewing technique? Like, do you do tea bags or do you do loose tea and like a tea ball? I don't have all the accessories, so I do tea bags, but I brew it really strong so that it almost hurts my stomach. So more than five minutes? Mm-hmm. In, in, do you leave the bag in the whole time that you drink it? No, because I don't like bangs against your upper lip. Yeah. Oh, wait, I'm going to jump ahead because, uh, sorry, Sam, but my vibe is also a tea. Are you going to do a tea? No. Okay. Keep going. Sorry. Well, you, you're going to get mad. You just skip me in, in line. I know. I said I'm no, going to skip do, you because my yours. next vibe yeah, is tea. Yours. God damn it. The men are quarreling. Seriously. Mine is mint tea, though, the opposite of tea that puts hair on your chest. It's tea that just... um, 
Like spearmint? Like peppermint? a sweet. No. Well, the one I like is, um, I have a specific one. It's from Belok. Is that how you say that fancy tea brand? B-E-L-L-O-C-Q. <sighs> what do you do with that Q at the end? They I have a know. tea atelier in Greenpoint, and there's the number 48, Pique du Midi. Tea atelier. It's super fancy in there. But I got this tea as a gift somehow. I don't know, but it's mint and ginger, and it's super good, and I'm addicted to it. I have to have it every night. Do you put milk in it? No. Nothing at all. Do you put you milk in yours? I do. Do you, like, dip a weird cookie in there? I do not. Black, <laughs> black tea needs milk, I think. And honey or just milk? Just milk. No lemon? No, but you do have to – you can't drink Irish – this is a pro tip. You can't drink Irish breakfast tea on an empty stomach because it's so strong that it affects you like alcohol. And you'll get nauseous Wasted? if you don't have a foundation. Just, it's, like a, too, it's too tanniny. Exactly. Burns you need your like stomach a lining. carby foundation. Do you feel like it gives you the caffeine? Uh, you're drinking coffee, so I assume you're into caffeine somewhat. Caffeine has no effect on me. Really? Yeah. It's, it feels so unfair. I feel like I'm at an unfair advantage compared Like you to could drink else. that and then go to sleep? Yeah, I could. It, it sucks. I feel like everyone has access to a free legal drug and yeah. I don't. Yeah. Because it have doesn't to work. Do cocaine. <laughs> Sorry, Sam, we can go back to you now because I skipped. My you. vibe is um, Grimes' new album, Miss Anthropocene. That shit slaps. What does that mean? M- what? Miss Anthropocene. The Anthropocene is like the age of humans in geologic time. Did you see that cover of the face? That's like her, oh, yeah. like her, what is it called? She has like a, f- like a, um, like a. <laughs> it's like a prosthetic. A fairy version of herself, like yeah. a, uh, what do you call it? Like a digital version of herself that's like some fantasy creature? No one helps. That me. has a different name? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, help me the fuck out of av- here. Is it like her An digital avatar? elfin Yeah, avatar? I was trying to think of Avatar, but it's not. Or it's, like her, uh, what do you call it? The What Tupac did? Hologram. 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 <laughs> so this is like Grimes. Um, it's her digital, well, I guess it's just her, her digital self called War Nymph. Love that. Yeah, Grimes sort of freaks me out in like the best way possible. Is the music I good? really like her. Yeah, the album's great. That's all I'm going to say. Also, the music video for Violence is fucking badass. Is she pregnant? She is. It's true. It's really true. Yeah. I remember the the like Twitter chatter about it. But. With Elon Musk's spawn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a little Musk ox. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel? My vibe is uh, wearing a hoodie with a cowboy hat. Yes. Because then you have like a snood. Yeah. Does it wait the hood the you hood up cowboy hat on top? Yes. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love any hood up with hat on top of the hood. Yeah. You can look a little like Leonardo DiCaprio, Did which you, is why it's important to do the cowboy hat and not a baseball cap. What were people saying yesterday about Leonardo DiCaprio not being famous or something? Did you see that? No. Some sort of re- revisionist history. Did you wear a cowboy hat? In a, you're wearing a hood today, so did you have a cowboy hat on also? Sure or did. Your da- was it that kind of waxed hat that no, from, you stole from your it's dad? It's a Stetson. I have a Stetson. Who makes your hoodie? It's um, American by Apparel. A, a oh, it's Nike. Greek startup called Nike. <laughs> <laughs> Molly, we have time for one last vibe, and then we'll get you out of here exactly on schedule to go to WNYC. Um, okay, my last vibe is a book called Shoes Outside the Door by Michael Downing, which is a narrative history of the San Francisco Zen Center. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, it's really wild. The Zen Center was rocked by scandal in 1983, and it was basically the 
the Zen Center in San Francisco is the agent that brought Zen Buddhism to America. And not surprisingly, it got like perverted in really specifically American ways. And there's all sorts of business malfeasance and weird sexual stuff. Um, but it reads like the author is not a journalist. He's a novelist. And so he's kind of um, not obeying the rules of journalism in a way that's really, really funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just highly recommend it. Is you're... this new or? No. Okay. So it came out in 2001. And it's one of those books that I, I can't figure out why it's not a huge deal and why everyone hasn't read it because it's so good. Uh-huh. And then I was telling this to one of my friends and he was like, I bet it was published in September 2001. Oh, yeah. And that's why. So there's a lot of Just stuff like that talk got magazine. a lot. A lot was and lost is this in September, October 2001. On that note. Molly, <laughs> thanks for coming. You're so smart and cool. Thanks, and um, this is episode 83 of Corporate Lunch. Tell your friends to listen and subscribe. Um, subscribe and write a review. And be yourself. And enjoy the rest of your day.